Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Well, what was the episode? Because it's been a while since you recorded our conversation. Do you remember the episode name, the t- uh, number? I think it was at number 22. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, whoa. I'm like, oh, gee. <laughs> Honestly. I remember that five years ago. Well, you know what's rewarding, David, is how many people I've either got an email from or, or run into or when they've ordered a board be like, yeah, I listened to your interview on Surf Splendor and made a lot of sense. And, you know, we're not trying to generate sales overnight, but you don't buy a board every day either. And I just, I, I just hope people start to investigate what they need to be writing and what makes sense to them and what resonates with them. But, you know, when it comes time to, to write a board or buy a board, you know, you might have been doing your homework for years and so it, it grows slowly but you know a lot of people have referenced that particular conversation we had and so once again it's like a conversation that we probably don't even remember what we talked about then didn't matter people are listening to it today and it's available so that's exciting and um i'll put a link to it in today's show notes too oh that'll be so fun people could check that out if they want and it's funny you're right i don't necessarily remember words that were said but the implications of that conversation definitely influenced all the other conversations that I've had yeah. in the subsequent 200 episodes. Yeah, I mean, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, the, the asymmetry thing started there, yeah. you know? And that's been, like I said, uh, a part of a lot of conversations in the last couple of years. That was the voice of surfboard shaper Donald Brink. If you didn't catch episode 22 of this show published on January 20th, 2014, I've linked to it on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. And if you did hear it and you were one of the people that ordered a board from Donnie and referenced this show, I thank you kindly. I hope that board went well, and it's really, really amazing to see these conversations come full circle. And you heard us discussing asymmetry. Donald exclusively builds asymmetrical surfboards. And in the past four and a half years since we launched that episode, asymmetrical board design has become a lot more prominent and revered by both athletes and board builders. 
Donnie is one of the preeminent shapers that's really taking big risks with exploring the strengths and the weaknesses with asymmetrical design. It's, you know, the whole asymm thing, is, it's funny. I'm, I, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. I've put a lot into this because I believe in it, you know. But what what is funny now is I have less conversations about particularly why the boards are made why they are you know there's there's starting to become a little more of a household understanding of the concept i mean it's almost like you could say the industry can't deny the value of asymmetry you you can't look past it there's just too many people i feel like feeling the effects of the change but it's also not a silver bullet this isn't going to answer all the all the questions but embraced correctly with balance i feel like we could open up what is essentially a can of worms because there's more details there's more variables to get right <laughs> it was almost hilarious you know working with channel islands and i was honored to be part of that the article in the surface journal at the beginning of the year and the entire article really really written well um through uh, was it Stu nettle out of australia sure. yeah and um the entire article is pretty much talking about why ASIMS in production or within the infrastructure of the surf industry and surf shops and retail and the understanding and all those elements um, can't or didn't work. <laughs> but the value of the concept of of the design, I feel, is important. It's starting to be understood. And look how surfing's changing. The demand for what people need or can do or are able to do, that's not up to us. That's up to people's expression and creativity. Why shouldn't the boards be as excellent or even beyond so that those things can happen more often, more freely? That's important. That's my role. So I love surfing, but I really love designing things and making things and things that work. The sense within me is I feel like the next two years in surfboard building is going to possibly be the most important. And I say that because I look at surfboard building and marketing as two different powerful forces. And marketing is is a dark art. You can pretty much tell people what to ride if you're smart enough. But at the end of the day, the smiles do the talking. If the boards don't work, who cares? And And if we can just pay attention to trying to slow down and do the best work we can, put out the best boards possible, put the right best fins in that board <laughs> you know those little details you want to add volume to your board put a traction pad on it floats like like there's so much <laughs> there's so much that we haven't really I, I wouldn't even say talked about but really thought about and if we slow down and start to really pay attention to those details and see what's working when who's got the biggest smile because that's what this is life's short you want to tap into the surfing thing and I take it seriously because probably because I have to but I do but with less hands too it's like it's a beautiful fragile fluid messy thing but it's a lifestyle and I feel like in this next two years if we can really see which boards are not working but working better than anything we've ever experienced whether it's symmetrical or asymmetrical I think if that's the driving force behind any surfboard design or campaign or experience because that's what it comes down to that's where we're going to be in a good place lots of enlightenment in these past four years and you heard donnie mention working with channel islands 
That collaboration will help make an asymmetrical board available on a larger scale, make it available to you wherever you're listening to this. And uh, more on that later, straight from Donnie. The other huge update that I wanted to bring you today is that Donnie and I are actually launching a podcast together. In reality, it's 98% Donnie, and I'm just here to bring it to you. But much more on that later as well. In this conversation, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I'm teasing it. But the important detail here is that this growth in the show and in Donnie's business is a direct result of your support. So as a thank you for that support, I'm going to give away another surfboard. This show is mainly supported through listener donations. We have a PayPal button on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. If you make a contribution of any size this month, we suggest signing up for the $5 a month uh, recurring donation. But a contribution of any size will include you in this giveaway. We'll pick one name on July 1st from everybody who donated in the month of June, and they will win this board. So what is the board that we're giving away? Well, when I hosted a similar campaign in April, I got an offer from a board builder on Oahu who solely builds Elias. His name is Leon and his brand is Morning Wood Surfboards. I've never ridden in Elia and I've always wanted to and I assume that you've probably seen them as well and had a fascination or at least a curiosity about Elias. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to explore that design and then get one of those boards into your hands. I guess it's the curiosity. It's it's so different. And you know when you see someone riding a board and you're like like I've never shortboarded in my life really, which is strange because I went from longboard to Elia. And so the hardest, I mean, pretty much the hardest learning curve because I was a lazy longboard paddler where you're a few strokes and you're in to pretty much the hardest thing there is. Um, but just seeing what was possible and the glide and the slide and the lines, kind of like when you see a board, like I've never really watched a shortboarder and go, besides watching John John or something and going, yeah, if, if I could bust airs and do all these things, I would shortboard. But that's never going to happen. So then I would see someone on the fish. I'm like, oh, it looks like a pretty cool line. If I was ever going to shortboard, that's what I would ride. But it still wasn't enough to get me on a on a fish. It, but the Alaya was like so intriguing that I was like, I, I want to do that. And so just putting a lot of time to be able to be in shape enough to actually have a full session and actually surf. What kind of shape do you have to be in? Uh, you find out real quick that you learn that, that there's, well, going from a longboard to a alaya, you realize how much current there is at places that you didn't realize were there. You, you basically have to have different eyes when you're looking at the wave and figure out, is that even a, a good wave for it? I typically look for a wave that's, like if it's not shoulder high plus, I probably don't take it out. Rampy takeoff is good. So once you're into it, it can just jack up and you can pull in. But the initial takeoff is a little trickier because you have to have some angle when you're taking off. That angle in the steepness is important because you need to set an edge. Alias are finless planks of wood. So if one edge isn't engaged with the water, it'll just slide across the surface of the water. They're built to be about your height, maybe a few inches shorter. With typically anywhere between... I kind of stay like 16 and a half is pretty good. I've gone narrower depending on the size of the person, 17. Some people make them wider, but the ability to go rail to rail changes. So 
it is harder to catch waves, but there, there's one that I rode and it's kind of my ideal board is narrower. It's just really hard to catch waves. Um, like I said, three quarters on the thickness down to half inch hard rail along the tail, probably two thirds to forward. I kind of round the nose, single concave bottom. So 16 and a half inches wide three quarters inches thick, less than an inch thick. Polonia wood, which is ideal for its strength to weight ratio and its flex. Flex is a key component for spring and drive in the board. We'll get into that next time with Leon. And Leon is building these in Hawaii, where the design originates from. Well, basically there's common knowledge, four different types of wood boards at the Hawaiians Road, starting from the smallest would be a pipo or pipo board. People ride them on their bellies. Alaya is the next step up. Then you have a kiko'o and an olo would be the longest. So common, commoners pretty much would be riding pipos and alayas and easier to find that size of wood and the larger boards were pretty much reserved for ali'i. I don't think anyone knows if anything came first. I'm sure they started with smaller just because it was more available, but that's just speculation on how it all developed. It's just, you know, it's pretty much non-existent for the last century besides people riding pipos in the 60s they you know the progression from wood boards to the hollow boards and everything else people assumed that probably canoe surfing was first maybe and then people just started body surfing and putting something under them and eventually standing up and went from there Speed is the biggest asset of an Alaya. Without any fins nor friction on the bottom, it's the fastest board design you can ride. So we'll have much more with Leon throughout the rest of the month of June. I'll embed portions of this conversation on every episode this month and remind you that Leon will custom build you your own Alaya. His Instagram is at Morningwood Surfboards. You can order one up or donate to support this show this month and you'll be entered to win one. Leon made it clear to me off mic that he's not necessarily interested in generating a ton of business from this. He doesn't make his living building Elias, but he wanted to help support this show and he's passionate about getting more people on Elias. So I'll post footage of people riding them on surfsplendorpodcast.com and on Instagram at surfsplendor. Thank you for supporting the show and thank you, Leon. Now, back to Donald Brink in Asymmetry. I wanted to use this episode to reintroduce you to Donald and also to tee up the podcast that he and I are working on. Donald is from South Africa. He recently traveled along with the Godowskis brothers to South Africa. If you remember last year, the Godowskis brothers collected nearly 800 surfboards and then shipped them over to South Africa to distribute them to at-risk youth. They invited Donald on that trip And that was really the impetus for this podcast project. Donald expressed an interest in recording those conversations through his lens of being from South Africa, being a board builder. So I equipped him with a mobile recorder and we'll be sharing all of those stories in an upcoming series. But the reality is even that conversation about recording the South African journey, um, it was really just a culmination of an idea that had been festering in Donald for a while. He had been wanting to get involved in podcasting for some time. So we get into all of that here. I caught up with him just the other day before he heads off to Portugal to shape. And it was actually the morning after Visla's Cosmic Creek event this past weekend at Salt Creek in Dana Point, California. 
He was beat. He had a long weekend there, but this conversation was long overdue, and we are very excited to present it to you. So this is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I don't think I've said that yet. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Donald Brink. I'll be back at the end of the episode, as always, to sign us off. Enjoy. Cosmic was amazing. We had a really good event. Um, gosh, yeah. It was a 20th annual event, so there was a little more of a sort of mystique and a preciousness to this year's uh, celebration or festival, so to speak. But yeah, Vistler just did the most amazing job. Everything went smooth. <laughs> I had no idea that it was 20 years old. Yeah, it's the 20th anniversary, which was something special to both be a part of and you know feel the energy and the sort of momentum behind the event so that was really special the wipes were incredibly surfable in pretty much every heat maybe the last two heats are kind of a little onshore yesterday but surfable waves sunshine throughout nobody got hurt i mean what more do you want yeah what <laughs> is the cosmic creek challenge so the the premise of the event um, I believe founded by Eric Diamond. I mean, I know he runs the whole deal, but um, yeah, it's riding boards from 60s, 70s, probably early 80s too. And the, the concept is everything's retro. <laughs> so it's a retro event and they level the playing fields by you ride either a single fin or a twin fin. So the heats are divided. There are six man heats and um, you come in and then you, they hand out cards. So you draw a card highest card gets first pick. So you're either in a single fin heat or a twin fin heat and they alternate. So your heat comes up, you draw a card, say you pick up three of clubs versus four, five, six, or ace, you get third pick. So you get to pick out of the probably 25, 30 boards in each category, you pick. So first first pick actually gets to ride what they want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a game there. So that falls in uh, luck of the draw. And then you ride your, yeah, single fin or twin fin, and then it's, um, yeah, you surf through the heats, advance, and yeah, it's a two-day event, so you surf through the heats, and then finals obviously finish they finish off on second day. So I know, um, obviously, it's all centered around a surf contest, but it seems to have expanded beyond that lately, right? Absolutely. I know there was a shaping component. Yeah, so we had a shaping bay, the mobile shaping bay down on the beach. I actually shaped a board on Saturday um, for Eric Diamond, the event organizer. So that was really fun. But um, part of the event was, um, Defin was down there. Um, so we had a expression session, a body surf expression session both days. And that was one of the highlights of the event for me, just being able to go out there with Kahe and um, Mark Cunningham and be able to just, and, and it was so, so well uh Filled them. We must have had 60 people body surfing together. Wow. Yeah, and some decent sets throughout that um, heat window. Not that it was a heat, but... I was going to say, what is an expression session for body surfing? Just well, everybody go out and have fun? Yeah, but every time I see Mark Cunningham body surf and Kai, I mean, what, the, what those guys can do in terms of moving through water, I mean... It's like, oh, there's 60 guys out there. How are they going to get a wave on their own? But, I mean, they take off so far past where everyone is. And 
the speed and the line that it's literally drawing a line you know yeah. it's high line low line it was very impressive mm. and really cool to be able to be part of that yeah um it was inspiring to see what you can do just by swimming and because we had cleared the lineup you weren't worried about some guy doing an air into your back with his fins so <laughs> have you ever seen mark surf like not body surf like board surf i've never seen that i don't know that he doesn't but i'm not aware yeah i i've never even thought about it until right now that would be an interesting question he seems to be from my perspective somebody who'd be pure and fully devoted to one thing yeah and i swam by and actually got a couple waves sort of swimming and body surfing right towards him which was just fun anyway but it was like oh that was a sick one but i didn't have fins on because i was just you know yeah just chunking it but um he was just so stoked that i didn't have fins on he's like oh keeping it all natural you know <laughs> and, and uh yeah i mean obviously a pair of fins is going to help you tremendously but yeah i just always am looking for my board so i'm body surfing <laughs> <laughs> radical um yeah i fun. heard you telling your neighbor you finaled you made the final i did yeah it's huge dude that's the first time i've earned money for for, for surfing yeah made it oh, into the money I didn't even know there was a money oh yeah yeah there's a big prize purse there they were handing out cash on the beach full old school that's what's that's what's so fun about the festival is like from start to finish it's time period specific so you know we you know the the rash guards are vest style and that kind of thing it's like all the little details they've they've maintained and that's why the the sort of less competitive angle is obviously i mean you've got heat draws people are gonna try and win but yeah it's got a very natural old school rootsy feel and um yeah i was i was stoked so i was in the shapers division so this year we had we had to replicate it's a um time specific shape so it was either a steveless fish or an ipa stinger and then the shapers would build a board for the event there's the one i rode right there mm. um and then we would run a tag team with one of our team riders or a pro so it really balanced things out and it was really fun so we had a 25 minute heat and tag team so yeah i managed to surf with one of my team riders ian gotra and he's a young kid and surfs just incredibly well i've been building boards for him for quite a time now so that was really fun his uh incredible ability and lively approach and he knows that wave really well more than anything what it was really interesting to watch was I mean, I'm enjoying watching surfing, but I'm really learning a lot from how somebody interprets a wave, especially watching somebody surf throughout a couple of days on boards they're not familiar with. So the approach to riding a single fin versus a twin fin, let alone which board they chose, but you could just see like that wave dictated, didn't matter what you were riding, a matched pace to how fast the wave was moving, and then whether you're going high or low. Yeah. So it was a high line, low line, which any wave is. So the the unpacking of equipment aside, it's like, okay, now we've given you a tool. You've got to create the line on the wave as opposed to what line do you want to, and then what tool are you choosing? So it almost took the board out of the equation because that was obviously, the, and it, that seems kind of intuitive to the conversation. It's like that was the most obvious thing that we changed, but at the end of the day, somebody you can envision the light, they, they weren't digging rail. They yeah. weren't going over the falls, you know? So all those things were a given, but the technique and unlocking that line, some boards were more difficult to do, but if you could see and choose and surf the right line, it was pretty much, and it was good surfing. Yeah. So at the end of the day, good surfing won. 
and that's amazing and maybe yeah. that's why the body surf thing was so sick because it's like we're out there and these waves are fun we're all high-fiving but you, you could connect them all the way to the beach you know yeah. and just get these long rides and then but i think what it was is what watching those pros body surf like mark and you're like oh wow yeah. i'm selling myself short i can do that it's like when you surf with good surfers it ups the game totally so i think throughout the event that's what it did you know yeah i i'm actually depressed when i reflect on how many years actually decades i spent riding high performance shortboards and only looking for one style of wave yes. you know um and as i've gotten on different equipment of course your perspective changes but no more nowhere does it change more than when you're body surfing which i did i body surfed yesterday yes and um you're just looking for waves that you would never look at twice on any type of a surfboard. You know, you're just like, you have fun on everything, basically. You don't need great conditions. You don't need a lot of swell. You have fun. And then, of course, if you were to ride a longboard, you'd be looking for different waves. And if you were to ride an Alaya, you'd look for entirely different waves. Mm. And so it really does open um, the opportunities that the ocean has on offer yes. when you ride different equipment or no equipment at all. And again, I'm depressed to realize that I spent the first two decades of my surfing life looking for this very narrow <laughs> offering. Yes. And then just completely minimizing all other offerings, you know, and just like not even surfing if it wasn't that one condition. I, so. I mean, to, to speak to that point, I think what's most important is to gravitate towards what's fascinating you. Like surfing isn't there as a training exercise and that's a broad stroke. But I think when you're growing up and you're trying to surf at a high performance and you're wanting to be more secure because you're riding a white sanded pointy nose board, all those things are real and part of what's happening. But I do think it's also important to have established a foundation of how and what to surf and a performance approach is going to be the most difficult because you need to have unfaltered technique yeah. technique is going to be the most important thing and i've had conversations with the likes of ryan birch Derek disney those guys grew up grinding heats in i think it's nssa or whatever the category was those guys were shortboarders five to the beach is the whole thing riding the same equipment every day competitive backgrounds and right. once they went beyond that they can now take that approach and put it onto logs and gliders and single fins and twins and pieces of foam you name it but at the end of the day it, it is important to build a good base my technique is terrible mm. and it's one of the biggest things i've been working on over the years is spending time with different coaches and having conversations with good surfers or trying to learn about how to better my technique so that you can unlock the benefits of any design there's no point going in there and building weird channel bottoms that you can never actually unlock because you're not got your arms right in your bottom turn yeah or you're not accentuating the best part of where your upper body movements are expressed in the top turn so i mean the details in boards i'm in love with beyond but you're really not selling, your, you're not serving yourself well if you don't back it up with good training. And that comes back to the body surf. So um, my good friend Westberg is a part of Vistler in Australia, and he he was. An, I, I mean, the first time I met him, I was I was starstruck because I knew of his legacy. So he was amongst many other things, and I could get his titles wrong. But what uh, Iron Man, um, Australian. Um, 
Australian paddleboard and multidiscipline paddle champion. I, for, I forget the, the category that they term it, but I mean, yeah, Wes and was on tour and uh, training Parker the year he won. Right. So he goes. He's got an incredible legacy on how to train. He's a tough competitor. He's mentally strong. He's the most positive guy. And yesterday, watching him swim, I mean, he's he's built like a fish. He's got broad shoulders and long body, but you're like, wow, the guy's just really efficient. And the body mechanics of efficiency is as important, perhaps more important, because if you take the board out of the equation, we'll still be at the beach. Um, yeah, just it breaks it all down. It keeps it really simple, and it shows what matters. And then if you're going to come in here and build something, it's like, well, why? How? Because we're applying these things. Um, yeah. And looking at people that do coach and their perspective on how to coach from a young age, it's less about doing the tricks but building a foundation and yeah. a base of how to manage a larger craft yeah staying on rail just all the things that we can gloss over so easily um and the naturally talented people are almost worse off because they just can pick those things up and take them for granted totally and so you know as a battling surfer <laughs> and a stoke shaper my approach is always more fascinated on like well i'm I've, I hold these things as really precious as important and important in my life because I leverage the benefits of them and dive into them and have, in, have invested everything. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, I see the importance of the subtleties and the details and learning how to surf better, you can unlock anything and mm. staying away from things that aren't appropriate for where you're at. And it might not be where you want to go, but what do you need to get to where you want to go? And most people really don't even have a vision of what they want to do. Sure. And that's, I mean, that's in their hands. I'm not here to tell people what to do, but gosh, this whole thing can come alive radically when you're really like, oh, you know, this this, this is what I want to do. I've been riding way more high-performance shortboards in the last bunch of months and for a bunch of reasons, but it's like starting to unlock those boards way better than I ever did back in the day when that's all I was riding just because the basic approach to wave riding has improved. Right. <laughs> and that's exciting. Yeah, the detail about Westberg, um, about economy of motion and yes. efficiency, Yes, you know, I mean, that applies to so much of what we talk about in terms of like um, your physical health, like s minimize everything, streamlined, eat mostly vegetables, eat things that make you feel, you know, like yes. it's real simple. And then it also applies to board design. It applies to riding waves. Um the boards that you're building, I'm just looking at them right here. They actually look complex. Yes. They look like there's a lot going on. But I think just kind of knowing you and having had these conversations, it's actually minimal. It's actually all in the refinement and kind of subtle detail. Yes. And it's not nearly as complicated as it looks. The goal is ultimately to reduce complexities and focus on these very few variables. Um, That's 100% right. Let's use that as a segue to talk about what you build. For people who don't know you, who are listening to this, what do you build? <laughs> what do I build? I build, it's functional art. People look at these boards and the asymmetry sends you down an in incredibly interesting and like you said, odd looking, <laughs> crazy, perhaps complex is a mature word for something that's more calculated than complex in my opinion, but I... I build, I hand make all of my surfboards, so I hand shape every single one of them, but the benefit of asymmetry for me has been years and years. I, I, I don't know, how long has it been? Well, I arrived here 
from South Africa 12 years ago maybe? Somewhere around there, but pretty much since I landed, started exploring the asymmetric advantages of especially retrocraft. So trying to, for me, my entire campaign is to help you surf the way you're standing. So I'm building stance-specific boards. So left foot forward, right foot forward, goofy foot, regular foot, whichever way you're standing. I feel like the economy of motion, here we go once again, that's a nice um, tie in there, but it's, it's... I wouldn't even say it's more difficult to surf on your heel than your toe rail, but it's different. And because of that, I feel like you can unlock the approach to any wave ride if you know whether you're guiding a, a heel rail or a toe rail. You're only on one at a time. Ironically, the whole thing still needs to work together and not be skewed in one direction or with too much emphasis on one part. But I've felt the benefits of those changes being applied through design, to make a board, whichever board in question, more seamless from one condition to another the way you're standing. So saying that, I can't not change it. Mm. I look at a surfboard and I'm convinced that you can, I don't want to say improve a design, but enhance a design. Because I don't want to throw away the flavor of whatever craft is in question. Call it a single concave thruster or a keel fin twin. You know, a board where I'm expected to understand exactly where you're going to stand and what you're trying to do. I feel like with a few small changes that cohesively embrace the concept of the hydrodynamic flow and the distribution of buoyancy, is it's such unexplored territory and probably the biggest thing to make great boards even better. So design is very important and you need to understand what you're messing with. And I'm in... I'm in awe of the details and the subtleties in any surfboard, with the surfboard design specifically. And once you start messing with those things, and like I said, I can't look back, I've felt the improvement of how the boards are seamlessly feeling good underfoot and the feedback from people. But it comes with the um, attention of, it's quite difficult to understand those boards. Yeah. They're, difficult to ex- they're difficult for people understand, uh, to understand. Uh, they can be really difficult to explain. But, you know, I'm not looking back and I'm committed to it. So, yeah, it's a, a careful calculation of a bunch of elements that you change to, to be honest, as small a degree as possible. Mm-hmm. We're not here to look good on Instagram and make something whack. And the early years, I was pushing the boards way too far. Way, way too far. They work. They work well, but you don't want to create something that. <coughs> excuse me. You don't want to create something that somebody has to go out and learn how to surf again. Right. And some boards are like that, and that's not wrong. But my goal is actually just for you to apply your muscle memory and your favorite technique according to whatever you've chosen to ride within the range of options, and um, let that be more free and available more often. I think the ability to ride. A variety of conditions is where surfing's going. Sure. Like this weekend, it was, you know, there were waves. Doesn't matter what your heat was, you had to be able to surf it. It was smaller, high tide, low tide, crumbly. And the more people that are surfing and the more crowded these good waves are, the better surfers are still having the most fun because they're training or practicing or riding uncrowded waves that are hard to ride. Yeah. But you unlock the key. I mean, you go down the beach and you surf a closeout, but you're working on it and making it making it happen and. So I look at the inferior conditions. Mm-hmm. That's really where I feel like the majority of Stokes going to be yeah. 
be gathered. I mean, if we're not doing trips all the time, and that's the reality is we're not, you know. Definitely not. Not often enough. Um, asymmetrical board design will come up repeatedly throughout this conversation, but the real kind of purpose of this conversation is <laughs> to welcome you into the world of podcasting. <laughs> well, thank you. I... <laughs> Yeah, I, f- I feel like I have zero badges <laughs> to be to be in the seat or behind this microphone. But but thank you. I'm I'm excited about the future and looking forward to the conversations ahead and those already gathered. Um, this is to share. Yeah. This is about sharing and to be honest, quite selfishly looking to learn. Really. Absolutely. I I get put in this odd place of well that guy really must know what he's doing but it's like yeah i've definitely got a couple tricks up my sleeve and a confidence in what i do because i take this thing seriously if i'm people paying money to ride a wave on a board i made it's i don't want to go in there guessing i want to get it right and that's that's been good and people have been happy but i mean my fascination for life and day in day out learning things is utmost i can turn that off sorry Oh, yeah. Are we back on? We're back on, but do you want yeah. me to reset or do you want to... No, that's okay. We're, we're, yeah, we're interrupted there. My, my kind neighbor turned his music off. Um, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm determined to be learning. And I'm... I want to say this carefully because I feel it's important, but I'm influenced by the most unique things that cross-reference and cross-pollinate into other things. And I, to be honest, I don't look at a lot of surfboard programs or paths to be inspired by what I'm doing not because I'm beyond them but I have so many ideas in my head and such a clear focus of how I want to go in a certain direction with excellence that you know that's a self-fascination and self-motivation but I've learned more about how to tackle that path which is you know you can't it's not copying anything so you got to navigate it yourself but I've learned more about that approach and how to unpack that from things in, entirely unrelated to surfing. Mm-hmm. And I think the conversations that you can have about surfing or about any parts of design, I'm, I'm a passionate designer first and foremost. Um, I grew up as a painter actually. I started painting when I was really young. And I don't paint that often anymore, but I think un- unpacking a creative endeavor start to finish is a fascination and I'm inspired by any design and people doing things that are interesting, but that's the difference is I think everybody's interesting. Yeah, I do too. I, I've, people walk in this door and I've either built them boards before or it's the first time I met them or the most the most fascinating are that, oh, I bought a board on Craigslist or I bought a used mm. board in a store and I, I'm just, this has been the best board I've had. Obviously, it wasn't made for me, but I was thinking now and, and then we build them something else. But that relationship came through the vehicle of design. But you get to meet these people and they're amazing. Yeah. And I've learned to ask smart questions selfishly trying to learn. You ask a good question and people spill the beans. Not that they're trying to hold on to it, but you can unlock these little things of where you're at, what you're trying to understand. And that, when you pair that with being able to have, I wouldn't call it proximity or access to high-level people, but when you start to be able to walk a road with people that are doing interesting things with an incredible focus attention to what they're trying to unpack, unlock, train towards, achieve, win, whatever those high-level paths, so to speak, are, 
you can learn really quickly because those people are efficient with their understanding of what they're doing and how they've got there. But then I meet just everyday people and we're all the same. And uh, so thank you. Welcome to podcasting. But yeah, down the road, I'm I'm really excited about the simple conversations we have about surfboards. I mean, it's this, sure. I, I, I shape surfboards. Let's talk about design and those kinds of things. But from how interesting it was that you lost your hearing from being next to a cannon on a ship at Vietnam and standing in my shaping bay talking about the rocker was difficult because it was kind of boomy and then we came out here but it was interesting you know mm, fascinating and it was one more depth to that particular surfer and and it led on to conversations about that time and then coming back and you know the it, it you know ends up he's a good friend now we've built him two boards it's taken 10 years rides the same board every day and you know like that's his fascination but yeah a retired accountant who's been helpful to have a little perspective on my books you know, yeah like, sure hey, what well, do you do you make sense of this he's like i need to research that and, you know so it's a, a collision of fascinating worlds i feel the same way in terms of wanting to learn and connect with humans and all that sort of stuff and that's why i've been doing the podcast um but there's been a few maybe six people who I have interviewed over the years and then kind of reconnected with off air where I realize I'm like, dang, that person has so much more to communicate and say Hmm. than they have a platform to share. So Dave Parmenter is one of them, you know, where it's just like the guy's a wealth of number one information. Like he's just, he stores a lot of information and then he's a writer, but he doesn't really have an adequate medium to share his writing with. And even with writing, there's a bit of editing involved and it needs to find a proper home. Like mm-hmm. is the surfer's journal going to publish it? Does it go on my blog? Like I don't, there's all these other things. Podcasting just allows this free form share of kind of communication and conversation. So I'm like, dang, Parmenter needs a better medium to express all of his Devin Howard, I would put in that category. You know, he just wants to communicate and he's very good at articulating. Yes. You're another one of those people where over the years, the few times that we get together, I'm just like, dang, can we bottle this up? Like, how do we, and not only, (laughs) not to monetize, but like to share with the masses. Like, I think lots of people would love to hear this conversation. Bummer I didn't record it, you know? So then I follow you on social media and kind of get your emails, stuff like that. And it's, little doses of what i know there's layers and layers and layers of underneath so um i'm all about like my objective is just how can i empower you to help you share these ideas convey these thoughts and um i love to hear that your heart's in the position of actually fostering communication with other people it's not just you sharing your ideas but it's instead Hmm. no 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 it's me just hearing what other people what their struggles are Absolutely. in surfing in life and whatever and then connecting kind of design with those things i think it's a really really uh it'll be fascinating i want to listen basically oh that's as, great as a listener well thank you those are kind words and i think it's important you know it's um is this a marketing exercise no <laughs> is this a labor of love yes um why well because if I look at, well, let me explain my role. I open the shop door day in and day out, and I come in and I make what it 
what turns out being an expensive piece of sporting equipment for somebody to have fun on. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a belittling way of saying I'm a shaper. But when all you're doing is building things for specific people, it's pretty much all custom work I do. That's fun, except for I'm like, Man, these these thoughts are here to share. I'm, I have an open door policy. If you want to know anything that I might know about a surfboard, I'm happy to tell it. I, this is a we're all, a rising tide floats all boats here, and um, that's just been something that I've been adamant about since day one. And we're all learning together. Anyway, if I'm only being able to connect with the people that I get to shape a board for, which is incredibly it's an incredible honor i really take it seriously and it's and it's such a joy i was like well but the conversation we had about that board we were making and oh hang on wait a minute you have a shoulder injury which shoulder like well you need to understand that your efficiency and your paddle stroke you're wasting all this energy it's up until here well that conversation's worth having with so many people that i never get to meet nor build a board for nor can or want to really but wait a minute they can learn something from this conversation didn't even touch that board might have even been in their second language so the disconnects you know sort of fall by the wayside and you get to share things that i've learned so much i listen to a lot of podcasts when i work and um i've sort of put a little curriculum together over the years of things that i need to understand better and i have i feel it a privilege to be able to not when i'm designing when i'm drawing lines and really calculating things but you know once i've turned on the planer it's i mean you're just going through the motions to as efficiently and quickly get to what you're building so that it it just comes out right and that's a flow that i depend on and so yeah over the years it's like i've chosen certain topics of things i really want to start to understand and i've learned so much from other people being able to share those things so if i've got anything to add i'd be honored and um (laughs) i'm very aware of the learning curve ahead um I mean, I listen to your pod. I listen to everyone. I'm I'm incredibly in tune with um, Surf Splendor and the network. And there's words on there I don't even. I mean, I lit, I'll write them down. I, <laughs> there's words I don't even understand, let alone one to use. But um, saying that, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's fun to be part of something new. That's it's not an extension of what I'm doing. It's the same tools. It's the same conversation. We're just going to be turning on the mic to capture it and i'm um, going down some interesting paths but yeah it's it's fun to be part of something that's a little less i wouldn't say buttoned up but it's it's fluid sure so um not that we have to apply a structure to it but what do you envision as the structure of the show will it be interviews will it be design conversations how do you envision it i think it'll be all of the all, all of the above um i've already been recording obviously gathering interviews for for a bunch of months now um there's definitely going to be series so look forward to dedicated series and and we might go silent for a while i i uh i don't want to put out poor quality and waste your time i take it seriously and as as one should um but you know we're growing and we're learning together so i think a little grace there would be appreciated but i would like to create um uh, curated series of certain deep dives into certain elements of specifically boards but more specifically a mental approach to understanding either a design a board or a canvas Mm. i think that's very important um i've had some really interesting conversations with high level surf coaches 
athlete trainers, those kinds of people. And to me, it's more fascinating than just talking about rails and rocker because we can talk about how to apply which one to, well, the most important thing is your mental state and your physical capability. And if that's impaired, wow. Yeah. Now we know where to start. You know, if you've got bad shoulders, bad legs, bad knees, bad hips, you name it. But as surfing grows older, we're, we're still so young. People, this is the first time we're seeing people retire on a craft they started surfing on, mm. which is inc- incredibly different from people that grew up on cigar-looking 50-50 rail, yeah. deafen longboards, and now are trying to ride whatever they can for the lowest amount. So I think those conversations are going to be interesting. So series, definitely series coming down the road. So expect some radio silence once we're preparing those kinds of things. But yeah, um, a fairly consistent, um, I don't want to commit to an exact schedule, Sure. to be honest. Um, I travel quite a bit in shape. And so I'm leaving for Portugal next week, which is exciting, except for I'm not quite sure who I'm going to see there. Yeah. But I really want to go out of my way to try and have a conversation with Nick Cemente from Cemente oh, yeah. Surfboards. I mean, I met Nick on the beach a couple of years ago at a contest in Spain that we were surfing together with Vissler, and that guy knows boards better than anyone might ever. Mm-hmm. He's been in it forever, L- loves Portugal. He's got a really successful, successful business there. So I don't know what he's going to say, but I've definitely got some questions because I'm fascinated about certain things that I think he'd be able to explain really well. Yeah. So I learn, we share, we all learn. Definitely give Nick a platform to share what he's doing and... That to me is important. Yeah. So it's it's a share mentality and I don't know exactly what all the conversations are going to be about. And I think that's fun. Yeah, I agree. I By the way, side note, I've met Nick and I agree with you. I like him a lot. I think yes. he's amazing. Um, Ashton from Stab. Who I met yesterday for the first time. He oh, was, really? Yeah, he was really kind. He came oh. up and introduced himself and um, that was kind, yeah. Rad. Yeah. Well, he was riding a Cemente at the Wave Pool when we went together uh, at Slater's Surf Ranch in November. That's what he was riding there. Okay. So he loves those boards. He got a couple when he was in Portugal, and he loves them. Absolutely. Um, so what do you, in regard to the podcast, what do you already have in the can? Who have you interviewed? And well, Yeah, let's, let's go a little bit about, um, I started this year um, with the uh, board drive for South Africa, so the Positive Vibe Warriors, the Gadaskis Brothers in particular, um, had put these initiatives together, getting people to donate boards they weren't using, maybe stuff sitting around, bring them to key locations, put them in containers. The first drive was to Jamaica. And um, I saw the fruits of that, and it was incredible. Just literally taking boards to a place that has waves, has pretty, pretty much a zero board infrastructure, pumping some boards into that and watching surfing grow. There's people that don't surf because they don't have a board. So seeing the benefits of that and actually continued relationships unbeknownst from whence it started from those um, exact boards that arrived and, you know, a couple, couple of the boys, Ivor Wilmot and Sharma. But um, so that was a couple of years ago. And so last year when um, when the boys put the drive for South Africa together, Obviously, being from South Africa, I was like, Whoa. it was such an obvious and amazing opportunity just to get involved and uh, get behind putting, giving back to South Africa. It was on my heart. And so I got heavily involved with that and, um, yeah, donated a bunch of surfboards. But um, 
yeah, even created a collection. But beside that, they invited me on the trip to South Africa with them to go and deliver those boards. And it's, I'm really excited. We, uh, I was honored to be part of that, to share Cape Town, the Waves for Change program, the beach days, the Stokerama days we did. And so being on the road with Patrick and Dane and Tanner was so special. So throughout that experience, because it was from beach to the actual environments where these kids were coming from that we were given the opportunity to surf and specifically the trainers who in my opinion the heroes of the whole thing mm. going out of their way in these it, it, essentially very dangerous places to find these kids that are struggling with things you won't even be able to fathom and um, put them in these programs and p- literally pick them up busfuls, take them to the beach put them in a little wetsuit teach them how to trust each other how to be confident in the water. Oh wait, how to swim. And then maybe not how to surf, how to teach somebody how to surf. I get excuse flash every time here it is. And um, so watching that unfold. And um, so throughout that experience was a two week trip. You know, I, I left I left home with a little field recorder and just grabbed little snippets. What did you experience today? Dane, tell me about that interview. And so, yeah, that'll be the first series I think you can look forward to is, um, yeah, the behind the scenes, so to speak, once that movie comes out, which is going to be available for everyone. Vans is producing that and um, did a, Graham Nash and the, and the team did an amazing job. I'm, I've yet to see the rough cuts, but I spoke to Dane last week and he was just so bubbly. He's, he said he really captured the heart of what was going on. And most importantly, the effect that I just... I, I hope people that donated a board can see the fruit that it's going to that it is already bringing. Yeah, it's that's important because people went out of their way to give something that right somebody else could enjoy. Sure. So once again, it's sharing. Well, <laughs> when that board drive was taking place, I don't think I know they collected like 680 boards or something. Along I believe those it lines. was yeah, just shy of 700, maybe yeah. 700 with a couple of boogies and stuff like that, and a bunch of wetsuits. Yeah. I don't think anybody anticipated ever really seeing where any of that stuff ended up. And it turns out the amount of um, impact, like you guys did a phenomenal job of recording the amount of impact that it had. And I assumed people just kind of gave it and thought, oh, I'll never see that again. And it's fine. And it goes to a good cause. Blah, blah. But actually, the effect of it will be packaged really effectively, yeah. both in that film project from Vans. But also, I know I've listened through the recordings that you collected, and it's like interviews not only with the Gadowskis brothers, yes. interviews with um, the leaders of those various organizations, interviews with the kids themselves, yes. interviews with local photographer, um, all sorts of stuff that I think will just have a really, really lasting impact. And again, we'll package it into a podcast series yep. so people can hear all of that beginning, middle, and end. Um, but again, just a real, real lasting impact. Well, thanks. I, I I look at the podcast format in particular, and I, it may be just right where we are in history right now because it's so new and fresh and everything. But these conversations to me are, are, are most evergreen. So yeah, we I had so too. like we had Cosmic Creek yesterday. Great, but like I said, the watching people unpack board aside, which line on that wave was the most appropriate, mm-hmm. and those were that was just good surfing. So these evergreen conversations, which is um, I think a, a good way to describe them, 
listening to the concepts of how to unpack an approach to a design in a surfboard is relevant both now and in however many years down the track. And the amount of information out there that is available is, oh yeah, I mean, we're living in an age where there's so much information, but there seem to be people who are like-minded that are curious about the same things. And so the synergy between the conversations you can have with those people, but also with the listeners, it's there's there's so many people that are so much like who we are and you just find the right people and the next thing there's a little tribe put together so that's exciting um those conversations that i had and starting in south africa was it was <laughs> it was an emotional roller coaster because it was full circle for me mm. i left home never wanted to <laughs> i love south africa i still do i miss it every day but um yeah i met my my wife here in San Clemente when I was traveling and so this became home and I'm, I'm blessed to be here and I, I really enjoy it but that was still home and I was passionate about the future of surfing in South Africa so starting the starting the recording process and diving into this world that is most unknown to me was um, was almost important that it started there and the conversations that we did have and watching the benefits of that specific project the board drive and the effects that it could have had and was having on people and what most importantly, though, is how it's going to continue to resonate. As I said, like these yeah. evergreen conversa- conversations, but the effects of those boards. And when it first started, I, I sat right here, and I'm pointing at this, my workbench next to us. Is um, you know, I had a meeting with Dane Kadaskis, and um, he came in, and we were sitting there, and we were talking about the production schedule and what we're doing, and when the containers were leaving, and kind of a little bit of the, you know, the organisation that they did an amazing job on putting the the, the back end on that project was huge. Um, and I looked him in the eyes and I said, you do realize that the effects of these boards are going to resonate throughout Africa. And he kind of looked at me strange and I was making a brave assumption, but I've traveled through through Africa enough, sailed into very, very, very remote areas of East Africa and seen, literally seen people living in places with mud huts and zero access to anything. Fishermen living off, the, I mean, just extreme beauty rugged remote parts people that live and survive and depend on the ocean but have in my opinion to date zero romance with it Mm. and life's hard for those people but it's also fairly well defined you wake up you gather wood you go fishing those kinds of things so but if we're going to create and this is what i said today if we're going to create a global alliance of ocean advocates people that are going to defend why it's important not to have trash from somewhere else in the world washing up on your beach or why your trash could wash up on somebody else's beach, you have to have a romance for the sea. you got to be in love with it, not just depend on it for a livelihood. So that was important. And I took a chance in saying, I feel like the rest of Africa is going to look at what's happening in South Africa and be inspired by that. I look at Mikey Fabry on tour and yeah, people maybe criticize his style. I think it's so refreshing. But what he's done, he doesn't need to win a world title to have inspired so many people like him. Totally. And that's exciting. So I look at that and say, wow, surfing's bigger than it seems. And boards aside, wetsuits aside, like all, take all the gear out of the equation. 
we have a romance for the sea we have a natural fascination for wanting to surf and next thing like well that unifies us and joins us together but it also creates a momentum of people who are, wow i'm really into that mm. i want to do that and a lot of people look at that and don't that's great but if you do that's your that's your responsibility to responsibility to um, cultivate that fascination yeah so this momentum of africa falling in love with the sea i wholeheartedly think that this project in particular has added some pretty radical feel to that uh what i feel is going to be a wildfire awesome and it's so important we're talking about a continent yeah i had no idea those boards are going to be in liberia and somalia they're already there are they they are already there I mean, I, I get waves, waves for change tagging me all the time in little things. And just see, I, every time, it's goose flesh. Every single time, you see what these boards are doing and where they're going. And there's already a surf school opened up in, uh, I believe it's Tofu in Mozambique. Like, I sailed through that port. It's it's in the middle of nowhere. They got a, they already got a surf school going together. So what it was is people that were passionate about the infrastructure of how to scale what they're doing. Waves for change, in particular, the, the organization. Tim Conibe is him and his team. What they've done is amazing, and the whole goal was once again to share. So he created something that was bulletproof in terms of how to franchise it, and the franchise was no, no. This is the process of how we've learned to go from people that are needing surf therapy or an opportunity to fall in love with this opportunity, which is riding waves, being in the ocean, teaching somebody how to swim, then surf. So. Yeah, the weight of these projects is way bigger than anything you can measure. Yeah. And just such a joy to be a part of. So that was a long way to say I'm passionate about what was going on. I was, I was humbled to be involved. But the conversations we had throughout that yeah, <laughs> pretty radical. So, yeah, the Gadaskis boys, I cannot say enough good things from day in and day out. Those guys, are they are the positive vibe warriors. Good. And there'll be a huge voice in that South Africa series of podcasts. Uh, I know that you also just chatted with Dane and recorded it about his experience in Cloudbreak. Yes. At Cloudbreak um, during that lifetime swell. What yeah. What are the highlights of that or how did that conversation go? Yeah, that's, that's probably a good way to not segue, but to sort of announce where and what's happening I we've been working on this and obviously gathered all those South African interviews and want to launch it as a series and I'm really excited to be working with you David and being in within the network um, definitely gathered a bunch of interviews there and a, a few others but I, I, I got this tendency to want to be I'm a perfectionist you know when when it comes to fins and rails and rocker and just just things in general and uh we kind of got to a place and I think between you and I agreed like, you know, we just got to get this thing out there. So there's so many unbuttoned up and unfinished little things that we need to work on. And you know what, just they'll come. And I've had to sort of let go a little bit, but um, <laughs> yeah, Dane got back. Well, back up a little more. I've been uh, working with Dane on a few things. Um, most, most importantly, we've come, we've become really good friends, and um, he was going through a little bit of a emotionally low low point, you know, some heartbreak, re- real heartbreak, you know. And we'd we'd spend some time on the road and doing a couple of quick trips, and it was really good. And I was just calling and checking in with him every day and seeing how he's doing. And he called me, and he's like, 
Don't even leave him tomorrow. It's on. It's 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 this is the swell. And I I could hear in his voice. I could hear the urgency. I could hear the focus. And I, you, you you just you listen. You just you just listen. It's, I'm getting older. It's great. You learn <laughs> you learn to listen. So that's one of my goals in this podcast is to listen. I'm talking a lot today, but I, I want to <laughs> listen. So yeah, look forward to. You may never want to surf a wave that size. But what you want to do is important. So once again, why is this conversation relevant? And I hope we did a good job. I feel like we did. But unpacking the determination, the long view, the tireless vision of wanting to do that, willing to sign up to do it, knowing when to stand back, knowing when to push. His emotional and mental fortitude of how he approached that, how he got through it, and what, what it meant for afterwards, I feel like we kind of covered those, thi- those things. And that to me is important because you might never ride a wave that size at a reef of that consequence. doesn't matter. We, we talked a lot about how to emotionally disconnect yourself or strengthen yourself for riding two-foot Santa, which mm. he did the day he got back and mm. was as stoked because it was, it was a balance of the extremes, so to speak, but also both were as important or real. So, yeah, just listen to Dane ex- explain the violence in that beating and holding that broken board and realizing how radically brave he was paddling into the, the first, the, that was the first paddle wave of the day. Wow. Yeah. And we go through a little chron- chronologic, because I've been there. I know how long it takes to look at the waves, get on the boat, get to the reef you know and 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 that was i guess just got lucky being able to have a little bit of a inside perspective to be able to ask maybe hopefully the right questions but he unlocked what was going on and then what happened next and the temperatures and the cloud cover and the visibility did i mention the rain no (laughs) exactly so he he does such a great job of telling the story and and then taking off on that wave and yeah holding that broken board just going wow I would definitely want have wanted to pick a board. It felt good on the wave and hacked himself over the ledge getting in there. It's yeah, so inspired. Yeah. So did he end up getting a a good wave that day, or was that, that was, the end of it? Um, I'll let him tell the story. He did not make it out of that wave that we all saw in the video, but um, that was a life wave for sure. Yeah. Um, he did surf that afternoon too got some really good ones too and surf the next day what was interesting and i'll let you wait to listen but there were a bunch of days before so they got yeah so they get over and we talk about how do you approach the days before leading up i mean we saw that footage of andrew jacobson getting absolutely worked and that's the same reef on a much smaller wave and yeah it's it so the lead up before it gets triple xl where's your mind what are you doing how are you mm-hmm. surfing and that was pretty interesting where they surfed and how mm. <laughs> okay how long is that conversation uh one hour six minutes nice yeah cool. it's gonna be raw it's unedited but it's an honest conversation i'm excited to hear it good um i want to get back into your board building business obviously the podcast is super exciting and much much more to come with that but to help people kind of understand who you are 
-hmm. I feel like this won't get covered in the podcast so much. So I want to give them some just details about you and what you're doing. You are a small builder. I have been in. I don't know what the square footage here is. 200 square feet, maybe. Um, I don't know. It's not many. Yeah. (laughs) And you've been here for as long as I've known you five plus years. Yeah, I was next door in a smaller shop for probably two or three years, and I've been in this one for five or six. Yeah, I've been here a long time. Yeah. I'm behind the old Hobie factory, so they're just two doors down down in Capistrano Beach. They started there in 1952, I believe. Okay. Um, so a little, little part of uh, surf history, yeah. Obviously, when you're building everything by hand and asymmetrical boards, as we discussed, um, that limits the amount of output that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we always talk about small builders kind of on the show. What is a small builder? Can I ask how many boards you're building a year? What does that number look like for you? Yeah, the goal is 200 boards a year. Okay. Um, that's a good year. And it sounds, maybe that sounds high, maybe that sounds low. Um, I didn't sell 200 boards last year. Okay. I probably built more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's team board, there's demo boards, there's giveaways, there's there's things that I'm passionate and get involved with and there's I I I have a good sense of where my business at I could have a better sense but this will be entertaining and I'll share these numbers because they were <laughs> they were almost embarrassing but also a testament to why I believe in this um, so the year before last somebody gave me one of those tide books mm-hmm. um, beautiful book you know the little catalog it's got the nice art on them so every day where i surfed i I logged what i rode what the conditions were like and which window within the tide i i I surfed i was like oh that'll be really fascinating and i was religious with it every time i surfed and i got to the end of the year finished up my sales tax report it was like it was december 31st got everything squared away i was trying to be as efficient as possible and then i sat down and I opened up the tide book and I went through and I cataloged all the boards I rode. So how many boards I rode, how many times I surfed and kind of ran some numbers, but just loosely. And I'd written 36 different surfboards that year and made myself 26 surfboards that year. Wow. <laughs> and it was almost like an embarrassing number. I was like, Wow. Now, obviously, there were other boards that I'd written from years before, and I write other people's boards too, if anything to learn. But I was like, wow, those numbers were, that's pretty radical. So there's a lot that goes into figuring things out before you're confident enough to build it for somebody else. And I'm passionate about that. Obviously, if we're going to design something together, and I'm going to do my best job. But you know, when it comes to people just calling you up and being, you need to start as a reference from like, oh, I really like the... The, this models thing is weird, but it's a great place to start a conversation. Yeah. So we've kind of gotten pigeonholed into that. So I embrace it, but with reluctancy. Um, but before you're going to put a name on something and be confident about it with from 5.2 to where it needs to stop, yeah. which could be 5.4, you know, there's certain things. So finding the sort of bookends of each concept, conceptual shape or model, um, you know, it's been years of that. So yeah. <laughs> that was a year where... What's it? Twenty six boards that <laughs> that those boards cost, and yeah, you you make them back down the road. But um, I am a small builder. I yeah, if I, I mean, some weeks I'll shape eight boards. That's no problem. Next week in Portugal, it's three a day, no problem. Like, but it's it's the meeting with people. It's the gathering blanks. It's doing the bookkeeping. I'm a one man show, and I partner up with a glass shop, 
who are doing fantastic work, Ocean Works in Santa Ana, Jim Jim Hodges has been he's a team player in in my little team and those guys do an incredible job. So that's how the efficiency of the business f- runs. Um, I had pretty radical health issues with resin in particular and any chemical to be honest. Um, so I had to give up glassing my boards many years ago. I started start to finish and actually learned everything else before I picked up the planer mm. back in South Africa. So when it came to time to shape my first board, it was it was really easy. Like I, I knew how to airbrush and do uh, layer panels, do fins, hot coat. The, like all of the back end was the easiest part. Yeah. But I reverenced shaping so much that I was late to. That was the last thing I, I challenged myself with. But I also knew that's what I wanted to focus on. So, yeah, it's a small operation here. Um, well, I do want to talk to you about fins. We'll do it at a later date because sure. it's a much bigger conversation, but we'll tease it now for listeners because I know you do build a lot of different fins, and I think Visley even sells them on their website, right? Yeah, they're available in the Curator Goods section. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, right now in, in the States, in Australia only, um, we're going to have a few in Europe pretty soon. So, yeah. yeah. So I'd love to dig into fins with you, but... Um, and that's another part of the work, you know, like I, I do actually build a bunch of fins for a couple other brands too, but oh, okay. I'm passionate about building things and making things and uh, foiling the plywood fins specifically. I don't do fiberglass fins, but the plywood fins, like that, that takes a lot of time and, and is a definite segment of my income. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So that's been fun. Yeah. That's why I wanted to bring it up is um, I want people to understand the kind of uh, pain points with growing business you know like you generally think oh the more business the better and there's kind of a boiling point of certainly of profitability you know of once you start to scale up you don't really generate that much more profit for the amount or or depending on how you do it you know um you want to be able to scale appropriately and so yeah just is the number i think you there's an intention oftentimes with staying small being able to manage the right type of growth and being able to kind of produce the right type of yeah. product that you want to produce, you know? I, I made, no, I don't want to, I didn't make a mistake. I made a choice and it was, it was, it was motivated in two parts. One for how I'm wired and two for the vision of what I want to do. I, I could get bored really easily. Yeah. And I'm I'm not shiny object squirrel guy, but it's like doing the same thing day in and day out. I'm I'm not a production I'm not a production person. I have worked in the I have worked production in within the surfboard industry, um, and glad gladly to have done that because you know you learn a lot and you have got to be able to get things to a point of excellence. Actually, even glass production for a little bit, but that's not my uh, the way I'm wired. But my vision was also to not just figure out one or two things and put that on the map and kind of create bread and butter. And I, I think that was a poor choice. Mm. I, I do. But I, I chose to do it with confidence that I want to understand design and the craft inside and out. And if you say create X and Y model according to a demographic that you could think could sell well. And I've seen a lot of brands do this very well. And they're better business people than I have or might ever be because of those choices. But what happens is when somebody then does get introduced to my brand or my boards, they'll buy that. 
Which is great, except for what about what we could have built them, which might look a little bit difficult to explain and get your head wrapped around, but the results and the comeback. Sure. So I kind of, I knew that this strange approach to straying away from symmetry in pursuit of good design could come at a big cost of maybe sacrificing some sales, but I really wanted to and still do want to really understand the changes I'm putting into the boards and how far to push them and why and to create a better cohesive or the best cohesive craft I can saying that it's time to it's time to sort of make my job a little easier too (laughs) not because that was wrong but it's time to sort of I've sort of I've tried to be on the heartbeat of where people's surfing's at, where the fascination is, and what's going to be the most appropriate fit for somebody's quiver. And I think it's really good that I actually think it's great if you if you do have a quiver quiver with a variety of shapers within it. Like, what's that guy best at? But how can you articulate what you need? Well, right there is the disconnect. Except for if you do know what you need, who do you go, who are you going to get it from? And can you have a customizable element to that or do you need one? Yeah. And sometimes those things are in the way. So, yeah, I'm leaving, like I said, for Portugal on the weekend. And I've actually limited the entire collection, which I showed at Boardroom, actually. It's a oh. retro-inspired collection of surfboards. And I just looked at what was going on. And, and I'm trying to also shape and sell what I'm most excited about right now. Of course, if you order a 12.6 glider or single fin or something different, happily make one. But when it comes to the day in, day out of, here we go, what's your size, let's go, <laughs> um, kind of getting to a place now. And it's been over the years of confidence on what's, and, and a, what's, what's relevant, but also what's most necessary in people's quiver. And I feel like that's, especially with the asymmetry in these weak, grovelly waves, having a board that fits your muscle memory and um, ability in terms of performance with a, with a craft that lets you do everything on a canvas that's maybe a little more difficult to. So I'm not reinventing your surfing, I'm reinventing the opportunities when you get to surf the way you can. So yeah, retro inspired but a, a heavy emphasis on twin with trailer or thrusted. So all three fin options. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I've limited those to a few models coming out right now and sort of reinventing that little thing. Yeah. I obviously uh, talk a bit about asymmetry on the podcast. It just comes up periodically. And I'm, I've been somewhat of an advocate for it in general. Yes. The limitation for the listener is if they don't live near a shaper who makes asymmetrical boards, it's difficult for them to really mm-hmm. feel comfortable um, ordering one and then also just having that conversation because it might have to be through email or phone or something yes. it's easier to walk into the shop and talk to somebody face to face so um i think that the movement for lack of a better term has been slow to grow partially because of that but you've made an effort to bridge that gap through a recent collaboration with channel islands yes and um Bravo to Channel Islands for kind of seeing that people are interested in asymmetry and trying to make it available uh, all over the world. So can you tell me a little bit about the collaboration that you're doing with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And one of the reasons that came about was also, 
yeah, I'm a small board builder. And when you run the numbers, it's like, wow, how do you survive? And yeah, it's speak to my wife. Like we <laughs> we are 100% committed to making this work and made some big sacrifices to make sure that that keeps happening. But it came to a point where I feel like where the industry is at right now, and there's all sorts of conversations about what's happening and from every detail from materials to um, business model, it's it's pretty interesting. And there's definitely been some um, distribution of growth into areas maybe unforecast, but at the end of the day, people aren't selling the amount of surfboards that we used to, so things have slowed. Let's leave it there. So yeah, and I've, I'm part of this, so I've felt things slow down too, but I was I was at a place where I was so confident in the potential of these changes that we're putting into these boards and also aware of the the challenge of building enough boards for enough people in enough parts of the world. That's not my role. But I'm so in love with the change and the asymmetric advantage. And uh, so, yeah, it was time to reach out. It was time to, this isn't about me. This isn't, this has never been about my sticker on a board. I'm, I'm in love with the design. I'm, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly in love with the details in a surfboard. And uh, what what better partner to have than the best surfboard manufacturer in the world? And uh, I know some of those guys. It's been uh, over the years, you know, I've gotten to know a bunch of people that work up there. Um, Brett Merrick, I've surfed with him. Actually at the Cosmic Creek was the first time I got to meet him in person and hung with him for a few days. And so we've spent some time together and some long conversations and just exciting life conversations, you know. Details about boards sometimes. Um, Mike Walters, one of the shapers up there in um, Carpinteria, really good guy too. But these these people, Aaron Smith in particular, production manager up there, Blake Howard, these people really understand surfboards. And when you look at that Channel Islands brand, the more I've gotten to know the ins and outs and their dealings and how they operate, the amount of people within those walls and abroad because I got to meet everyone from the international sales meeting and kind of go over the details of what we're working on. The amount of knowledge in surfboards is unreal. Mm. The the reason why those boards can be depended on and have been depended on for so long comes with an incredible commitment to excellence. Those guys are hot. Yeah. <laughs> and there are many board builders that are. But at that level, at that volume, with the sustained legacy, it's really it's a really a special thing. So yeah, um, we, we were in developmental stage. Um, my goal was to partner with them and bring an asymmetrical performance. They're a performance brand. Bring an asymmetrical performance shortboard to the market that can be built within countries that they're made yeah. and sold um, sp- specifically. So, yeah, my goal was to embrace sustainability as best we could and with um, the options and some of the technology that they have, I felt like it was a really good fit. Um, so yeah, I won't be shaping all those boards. Are those boards currently available? No. Okay. Yeah. Do you know when they'll be? Uh, no. <laughs> and to be honest, it might take a while. Yeah. Um, what we've been working on 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 this for for many months now, and I hand shaped a bunch of prototypes, and we kind of got on the same page and see where we were going and. I, I'll be the first to admit when it comes to that whole computer world and machines, I, I know zero. Yeah. And it's not because I'm against it. It's just never been something that I've 
known how to use or to be honest wanted to use and uh, i don't think those machines can cut what i've been building so there's little challenges and things there that um that's not my world so i've joined with people that whose world it is so yeah we definitely we've been building a bunch of prototypes making some changes um just build a board for dane reynolds so he's probably writing that right now um so wait for feedback on that um actually did a few boards for the gadaskas brothers too slightly different um uh, version but when we're happy we will land on something if they want to and um yeah it's they hit me up and said hey the boardroom show is coming up like are you willing to bring this to market to see people's reaction to get a a real sense of understanding if if this is even relevant and from consumer to retailer if this is even going to make sense in their boardroom in their lineup to their customers does it serve surfing and does it serve the channel islands brand and i've been very impressed with their willingness to embrace change but also what it is is a dedication to design you can pick up one of those boards and and that's the that's the problem and these conversations i hope help to let people understand what it is that they need to write many people have 10 boards and they're like i really like these three and these four well these these other six are all over the map this one's an oddball and these three they all have the same thing but the people don't know that okay well that's single into double into v every single one of these all of these other boards had either single all the way through you know and so if you're a front foot back foot surfer just knowing which model even to start to look at they're going to build you the best board ever but if you know which one to choose so those kind of conversations are important um so yeah we're gonna we're gonna keep working and when we get to a place that we might be happy enough with the response has been really good um from the boardroom show in particular put a little survey together those those results were quite rewarding and surprising in some areas Mm. um gathered a little confidence in other areas too so that was really good um to see where people are really fascinated what what were the pain points where where were the areas that they decided were most important in terms of when to choose what to buy what was most important when putting value on a craft you know those kinds of things so those numbers are in and looking really really um rewarding got a little more clarification in which way to um to commit and yeah once so that's what we did we brought it to market and yeah now it's more protos more protos get this (laughs) thing to a we don't want to put something out there i take this seriously i'm honored to collaborate with those guys but we want to make i you know what it is is i feel like we can make one of the best surfboards you have ever ridden if not the best and it's, of course it's not for every condition but it's going to be a short board gravel specific board because once again unpack those waves that are less crowded yeah it's i think it's a good board to have in your quiver as a benchmark reference yeah. it's always going to be valuable in your quiver even if you're going to trip you break all your other boards you still got a chance to paddle into a bomb or surf a little mushy one yeah so that's what we're working on and um yeah we'll we once we get to a level we'll we'll see it's really exciting working with something bigger and sure it's a uh, yeah, I'm a one-man show to plug into a bigger infrastructure with, once again, like I say, the detail and the amount that those guys know about good surfboards. It's so exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. What are you doing in Portugal, and how long will you be there? I'll be there, I think it's a 10-day trip. Um, and, yeah, I'm going over to Magic Quiver. So, 
yeah, I'll just be shaping. They have their own retail store. I've, I've, I've often gone to France and shaped some boards and they send them down there and they've, they've sold my boards in their shop for a bunch of years now from all the trips. And um, I missed Europe last year for various reasons. But um, yeah, this year they invited me to come and just actually shape the boards there and we'll distribute, distribute boards throughout Europe from there. So it's not, it's not a big batch, probably 20, 25 boards. So I'm excited about that. But once again, it's like, yeah, I'll just be able to go in, turn on the tools and shape some boards, not have to um, worry about generating orders. So it's, yeah. I, I love traveling and shaping because it's, it's like, it's just, you just get to get in deep and get into a really good rhythm and make a bunch of boards. So um, probably be a nice distribution of um, sizes and widths and ranges, those kind of thing, focusing on that retro collection I said. Um, so I'll be shaping there every day and um, yeah, really excited. So Magic Quiver, is, are they a retailer? Is that the name of the retail? Yeah, okay. so as far as I understand their business, I've never been to Portugal, so that's exciting. Um, but they're in Eresera, and from what I understand is they had and do have a retail space and have always had a factory, which now I believe they've got both um, have updated. So they've moved to a new location, got a slightly bigger retail space, and the factory's expanded from what I believe. And then from what I make sense of it, they run some guest house options and there's a little bit of an accommodation element to the business. So, um, yeah, they got a, they got a really good thing going. So, awesome. yeah, I'm excited awesome, about that. Man. Very cool. Very cool. Um, this conversation was all a setup for your coming podcast, which will be titled <laughs> Swell With My Soul. That's correct. And when can people expect to hear that? Um, well... I think as, as as soon as the next few days, we're going to drop the first Swell With My Soul podcast. And I, I believe we, we're going to start with the conversation I had with Dan Gadowskis. Just I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. And my goal in this is not to be a journalist. I'm not here to be on top of what's happening in the latest event. And I feel like you guys are doing such a great job. And I'm in tune with all those things. But um that that's not what i'm here to do but this did seem to be a timely conversation and it's fresh in our minds and i think the excitement of what dane covered and the emotion in his voice and how it applies to you is valuable both now or later but um yeah expect that one to come out pretty soon here and then um start putting things together and then that south african series which um i believe the premiere for the movie is going to be at the j bay open so I forget those dates right now, but he's at the beginning. The 11th, maybe? So, July 11th? That sounds right. So um, as far as I understand to date, that movie's going to be available online for free for everyone. And I felt it was appropriate to let the movie talk for itself, for people to give an understanding of the South African surf history, the Waves for Change program, Surface Not Street Children, the board drive, uh, Positive Warriors. Um, so I'll let the movie do that and talk for itself. Um, Graham and the boys did a great job editing that um and thereafter i feel like the conversations within that series are going to make more sense yes so there'll be a contextual reference for those things so yeah this was a great conversation today thank you for all the work you're doing in podcasting and and surfing specifically i think you're doing a doing a a good job for one but it's an important role i've learned a lot and i'm honored to be part of that thanks um so yeah thank you for that swell with my soul the reason i called it that was I, I feel like, and this was one of the questions that I surveyed people at the boardroom show. What is surfing? Is it a form of exercise? Is it uh, simply uh, a workout, an occasional exercise? Is it a spiritual act? 
is it a religious experience? You know, and it was really interesting. Let's just let people answer for themselves. And across the probably, I don't have the stats in front of me, but throughout the survey, I think it was 70% weighted towards um, a religious exercise and mm. a spiritual activity. Mm. Mostly weighted on a spiritual activity, which I feel, but it was interesting to know that other people agreed with the same thing. Yeah. And I feel like the conversation of what this life's about, the acts of how surfing is part of your life, if it is, and if it is, then how to leverage that best, yeah. most responsibly cultivate that. The conversation of soul, <laughs> the philosophy of surfing, the philosophy of our meaning, gathering meaning, creating meaning. You know, we might not go down each rabbit hole, but it is part of the conversation of how we surf, what we surf, when we surf, if we surf. More importantly, the approach to those things. That's probably why Dane's con conversation is most appropriate yeah. to begin with um, in, a, in a wave, in a situation of such consequence, but then also the build up to it and then post. So I feel like that's fitting swell with my soul. It's um, I don't want to have a religious conversation about what's important in life to you. But those things are naturally going to come up because how can it be separate? Yeah. These things seem to be so well dovetailed into each other. And that's what I've learned from having conversations with people about a board we all aren't making for them. And I feel like those things coming out from their mouths to your ears is going to be refreshing and rewarding. I agree. Um, and I like having that J-Bay timeline, like mid-July for launching that South Africa series. First of all, it gives me, um, it gives us a deadline to just like get it out and get it all uh, edited, produced, all that sort of stuff. The timing is right with J-Bay, the Van series. And um, I think, man, I think it'll live in perpetuity. Like you said, with Evergreen, like the Dane thing is relevant. The Dane Cloudbreak conversation is relevant because it's in the news. Yeah. But I agree. The South Africa stuff, I think that lives on forever. Yeah. So. And it's appropriate. Like all eyes are going to be on J-Bay and South yeah, Africa and exactly. the work being done there. And uh, I'm excited. Yeah. Really exciting. So thank you for your time cool. today. Thank you for the Surf Blender Podcast Network. Gladly. And uh, happy to be a part. And listeners, right now. Open up the podcast app and uh, search Swell With My Soul and click subscribe so that you don't miss any of that stuff. So, thanks, Tony. I'm an old man now and a lonesome man in Kansas, but not afraid to speak my lonesomeness in a car because not only my lonesomeness, it's ours all over America. Oh, and spoken lonesomeness is prophecy. The moon, a hundred years ago, or in the middle of Kansas now. It's not the vast plains mute our mouths that fill at midnight with ecstatic language when our trembling bodies hold each other, breast to breast on a mattress. Not the empty sky that hides the feeling from our faces, nor our skirts and trousers that conceal the body love emanating in a glow of beloved skin, white, smooth abdomen down to the hair between our legs. That's Alan Ginsberg reading his poem Wichita Vortex Sutra over the uh, music composed by Philip Glass uh, years after that poem, but for that poem. At any rate, Donald Brink, thank you very kindly. Um, 
Swell With My Soul podcast, available now in iTunes or wherever podcast app you listen to. This will be listed as episode 000 on that podcast feed. Episode 001 will feature Dane Godowskis talking about his cloud break experience, and that will be released next week when Donnie is in Portugal working hard and um, really excited. Lots of good stuff to come there. He's already got a ton in the can that I'm kind of sifting through. And um, like he said, some of it will be series like the South African piece, and then there will be one-off episodes as well. So just lots of creative stuff there and tremendous amount of insight into board design and the way people view surfing, view surfboards, all of it. Way different than anything that I've ever done. So grateful to um, have Donnie's voice here. And grateful to you, the listener, for supporting this work and um, you know being able to see it kind of propagate in different ways like this is really amazing and a testament to your support. So thank you for that. And in that regard, specifically, Leon at Morningwood Surfboards will be giving away that Aliyah at the end of this month, at the beginning of July, actually. So uh, if you would like to make a financial donation to this show on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate, there's the PayPal link to do so there. Like I said, any amount will get you into the raffle, but um, we recommend we do a we also we have a button there for a subscription for five, ten, or twenty bucks a month. I suggest just doing the five one. That makes it simple for everybody. Most people can afford that without noticing it missing from their account, and uh, it goes a long way to supporting this show and this work. So, thanks for that. And everything that Donnie and I discussed is available on surfsplendorpodcast.com, also on social media at surfsplendor. Definitely follow Donald as well at Donald Brink. He'll be documenting his Portugal trip. And then, of course, just share this show with friends. If you can think of anybody who has any interest at all in board building, I think that they would appreciate this episode. So go ahead and send them a link to it, and that'll help this audience grow, which, by the way, helps us attract bigger guests to the show. All right, that is all. I will let Allen Ginsberg uh, poetry read us out to Philip Glass. And then until I catch you next time, I hope that you enjoy the Uluwatu CT. That's the official name, Uluwatu CT event. And uh, I'll give you a recap for that once that's through. All right, get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred them. Shambhu, baba, naked, covered with ash. Kake baba, fat belly, man with a dog. Gone past suffering. Preserver.
Allah, the compassionate one, Yahweh, righteous one, all knowledge princes of earth, man, all ancient seraphim of heavenly desire, devas, yogis, and holy men I chant to, come to my lone presence into this vortex named Kansas. I lift my voice aloud, make mantra of American language. Now I here declare the end of the war. Let the states tremble. Let the nation weep. Let Congress legislate its own delight. Let the president execute his own desire. This act, done by my own voice, published to my own senses, blissfully received by my own form, approved with pleasure by my sensations, manifestation of my very thought, accomplished in my own imagination. All realms within my consciousness fulfilled 60 miles from Wichita, near El Dorado, the Golden One, in chill earthly mist, houseless brown farmland plains rolling heavenward in every direction, one midwinter afternoon, Sunday, called the Day of the Lord. Pure spring water gathered in one tower where Florence is set on a hill. Stop for tea and gas. <laughs>